Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com, or you can contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Team, wake up campers. It's time to take your yellow pill or whatever pill you are taking to keep from going back crazy. Are you allowed to say back crazy in a sermon? Speaking of bats, after 40 days of quarantine, have we learned our lesson about violating the kosher laws? Remember that movie with Robin Williams? Very popular among my crowd when it first came out. Now, at the core, I'm an introvert. I can spend inordinate amounts of time by myself and walk away energized. <clears throat> Sherry, on the other hand, is an extrovert. Yes, this can lead to interesting interactions during our isolation, but we're okay. Whenever she needs to, she'll call one of her lifelines and be good for another day and a half. But seriously, we miss all of you and all of our getting togethers. So in my isolated madness, Oh, by the way, before I go any further, I want to just make sure I can see everybody. I want to make sure I know who's falling asleep and who's not. In my isolated madness, I read through today's Torah and Haftarah portions. Don't try this at home, folks. It didn't feel like the most spiritual content I ever read. I felt like I was reading an article on the coronavirus. And in a way, I wish I was. Then I found this obscure passage that I'm going to read to you from 3 Chronicles 12, verses 1 through 8. If a man suspects that he or anyone with whom he has been in contact in the last fortnight may have been exposed to the COVID-19 virus, that man shall cover his mouth and his nose and wear gloves on his hands, but only after having washed them for at least 20 seconds. He shall travel to the nearest grocery store or department store and purchase as much toilet paper as he can afford. That man shall maintain a safe distance of at least four cubits from every other person. If he finds that he is not able to refrain from sneezing, he shall sneeze by bringing his arm to his face and sneezing into the crook of his elbow. If the man has a fever but does not have upper respiratory congestion, or if the man has upper respiratory congestion but does not have a fever, then he shall return to his home and wait three days. If after three days he has both a fever and upper respiratory congestion, then he must go to the emergency room and follow the instructions of the medical personnel therein. However, if the man has neither a fever or upper respiratory congestion, or has only one symptom but not both, then that man shall remain confined to his home for 14 days and drink lots of clear liquids. In any case, he shall warn everyone who comes near that he is sick. 
If a person aged 60 or greater or a person with other pre-existing con conditions comes near, the sick person must run away. Run away! Okay, end of fantasy. Our Torah portion isn't exactly meant to be an ancient medical treatise on how to deal with viruses. It deals with ritual uncleanness, as we have heard in our very eloquent drosh, which basically took up most of my sermon. <clears throat> Women who have conceived tazria and given birth, tazria is the first part, first word in our Torah portion, who are ritually unclean through the flow of their blood. It deals with people who are unclean from a skin disease. Those people are mitzorah, the skin disease is tsa'arat. And it deals with people who are ritually unclean due to an emission from their bodies. I did a little research, and I found that some Jewish commentaries imply that this skin condition of tsa'arat is a spiritual infestation that occurs when a person speaks evil of another person. As was mentioned, this comes from a passage in Numbers 12 when Miriam spoke against Moses and she turned white from Sa'arat due to the anger of Hashem. And she was forced to remain outside the camp for seven days. That is what we now know in modern language is a form of quarantine. That's right, quarantine. <clears throat> Whatever you... Uh, whenever you read something in scripture about uh, ritual impurity, you're not dealing with medical issues. You're dealing primarily with the broad category of holiness. The ritual system, the system of sacrifices and offerings, these things pertain to the category of holiness. And I will come back to that in a moment. But our Torah portion today, as you heard, is a double portion, but with a twist. The twist is that it's a Shabbat that falls on the first day of a new month, the month of Iyar. We call this Shabbat Rosh Kodesh. Did you see the moon last night? It was a tiny sliver. When Shabbat falls on a new moon, we skip the usual Haftar readings and read a different one. So this week it was Isaiah 66. And uh, I believe this Scripture was chosen as a Haftar reading uh, because of the following passage found in verse 23. And it will come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh will come to bow down before me, says Adonai. This verse refers to the end of the age, the age that is coming. And how do we know? The verse immediately before speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. That's a clue if you're looking for one. And even more importantly, it's a clue that ties into the topic of this message, holiness in God's presence. So this morning, I intend to link a set of verses dealing with ritual impurity and uncleanness to another Jewish concept, olam haba which means the age to come. Perhaps it will be of interest, but believe me, I understand if you have better and more interesting things to do. Um, wait a minute. You're a captive audience in a very literal sense. So I'll just ask you to try not to fall asleep. 
First, regarding, regarding Olam Haba. Let me say that we should generally try to tie everything to the age to come. It gives us purpose. I'm not trying to minimize what we already have in the present age, but what we have is not what we will have in the age to come, in Olam Haba. So here are some verses on ritual uncleanness from our Torah portion, and I want you to listen for something that is immediately puzzling. Just shout it out if, uh, if, you, if you catch it, because you're all muted, so it's fine. Leviticus 12, verses 12 through 17. Suppose that Sa'arat breaks out above the flesh, and so far as it all appears in the eyes of the Kohen, covers all the skin of the infected person from his head to his feet. Then the Kohen will see and behold, if the Tzarat has covered all of his body, is to pronounce him clean of the plague. Since it has all turned white, he is clean. But whenever raw flesh appears upon him, he will be unclean. The Kohen is to examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. It is Sa'arat, or if the raw flesh changes and turns white, then he must come to the Kohen. The Kohen is to examine him, and behold, if the plague is turned white, then the Kohen shall pronounce him clean of the plague. He is clean. So, did you pick up on it? Let me tell you. When the entire body has turned white, the priest is to declare the person clean. It seems counterintuitive. Many English translations refer to this condition as leprosy, but according to rabbinic commentaries, there is a deeper meaning for this condition that is called in Hebrew tsa'at. Perhaps it is better translated as eruption rather than leprosy. It is seen as something that is within the person, some sort of eruptive condition that works its way to the surface of the body to the skin. So whatever is seen on the skin is not the condition itself, but is a reflection or a manifestation of what is going on within the person. So if you see a white spot or if you see raw flesh, basar hachai, living flesh, you are seeing the person in the midst of their condition. The person's body is pushing the impurity out of his body where it shows up on their skin as an eruption. If the skin stops showing the raw flesh or if the white spot ceases to spread over time, then the person is declared clean or perhaps a better way is to say cleansed of their impurity. Thus they can wash, take their offering to the place of sacrifice and be ritually cleansed. Okay. So what we're seeing is an impurity that has completely worked its way to the surface, there is no longer any impurity within the person, they're pronounced clean. So you might compare this to a person who has contracted COVID-19 and survived. They now carry the antibodies. As far as we know, they are no longer infectious. They are no longer susceptible to the virus. They can freely go about without fear of infection or infecting anyone else. Ritual uncleanness prevents a person from coming to the place of sacrifice, the holy place, where offerings are presented before a holy God, 
So please allow me to dig just a little bit deeper into this topic of holiness. Holiness refers to varying degrees of the presence of Hashem. Jewish tradition speaks of different categories of holiness, holy places, holy objects, holy times, and holy people. For example, the Jewish people are a holy people on whom God has placed his name, a people set apart for a holy purpose. First Peter also talks about this. Zechariah 8.23 says, Thus says Adonai Tzvaot, In those days it will come to pass that ten men from every language of the nations will grasp the corner of the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. We can also see later in Zechariah, in chapter 14, there will be a future time when the holiness will be widespread. At the end of the chapter, we read of the future inhabitation of God in the holy city of Jerusalem. In that day, even the bells on the horses will be holy, engraved with the same inscription that's found on the mitre of the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, holiness to Adonai. Ordinary pots and pans will be as holy as if the bowls before the altar. As in the revelation of John in chapter 21, John describes a holy city, New Jerusalem, inhabited by God where there is no longer night, no sun or moon, but the Lamb of God is the light. I want to take a little side trip, but it's connected. I'll bring you back. Let's watch how scripture shows us that Yeshua's holiness demonstrates that he is part of the identity of God. The pattern of scripture is that unholy things tend to defile holy things. Lepers, for example, have to stay away from the rest of the people, lest the people become defiled. The woman who had a flow of blood in Matthew 9, also found in Mark and Luke, was unclean according to our Torah portion. Normally, if something is unclean or unholy, touches something that is holy, the holy thing is defiled. But when this woman touched the hem of Yeshua's garment, very likely the tzitzit, he wasn't defiled. Instead, the woman's flow ceased and she was healed. Yeshua's holiness was greater than her uncleanness. Similarly, if one touches a dead body, one is considered ritually unclean. You must bathe and wash your clothes and remain unclean until evening. But when Yeshua touched dead bodies, they became alive. He wasn't made unclean. And when Yeshua touches the one with Sa'arat in Matthew 8, Yeshua isn't made unclean. Rather, the afflicted man was healed. So we see the greater holiness of Hashem embodied in the person of Yeshua. This is the very definition of holiness, the presence of God. The Lamb of God will be the light that shines continually in the New Jerusalem. So having established that Yeshua brings holiness, that being close to Yeshua increases our holiness, I want to return to the discussion of skin eruptions and the priest's role 
in inspecting the afflicted person. I would like to propose a twofold proposition. It doesn't matter which one of these conditions exists for an afflicted person. First of all, it is entirely possible that a person can become impure through impure words or deeds as suggested by the case of Miriam, Miriam, who I mentioned earlier. Second of all, it's entirely possible that someone can have an impurity that causes eruptions even, even if they haven't sinned through impure words. So I am presenting the idea that both possibilities can exist concerning people who are afflicted. So what does James have to say about people who are afflicted in chapter five? He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the Kehillah and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the declaration of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Why are elders involved in anointing and praying? Some people think that elders are holy men of God, so their prayers are more effective. That cannot be the truth. If you are trusting in the one name given among men by which we must be saved, the name of Yeshua, then you have the presence of God in you, the indwelling Ruach Elohim. You also are holy, even if you are not an elder. So why elders? It's not their holiness though that's important, but rather their provenness. An elder is one who has been tested and proven faithful and is able to teach and disciple others. Hebrews 13 instructs Messianic Jews as follows, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as ones who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no benefit to you. Elders will give an account for the souls that they are responsible to disciple. The role of the elders in addressing afflictions is to do what the priests would do with a person who had sa'alat. They are examining the person who is afflicted. And how do elders examine an afflicted person? They pray. They ask the Ruach Elohim to show them if there is any spiritual condition that has caused this sickness. Because the elder gives an account to God, if he listens, the spirit may reveal to an elder what the source of the sickness is. Why? To condemn the person? Absolutely not. If there's an impurity, a defiled spiritual condition that is still active, the elder calls it out. If not, the elder simply prays, asking Yeshua how he wants him to pray for this person. Why does he ask Yeshua how to pray? Because Yeshua healed in many different ways. In John 9, he spat on the ground, took the clay, rubbed it on the blind man's eyes. When the man rinsed in the pool of Siloam, he could see. On another occasion in Mark 8, he led a blind man out of the town by the hand. He led him out of Bethsaida. He spit on his eyes and laid hands on him. 
He asked the man if he could see, and he saw men like trees, walking. Then he laid hands on him again and made the man look up. The man's vision was restored, and he saw everyone clearly. When I pray for someone, I ask Yeshua how to pray. Is this person going to be healed? What should I say? What should I do? Not everyone is healed. But praying in the name of Yeshua brings the holiness of the divine presence into the situation. And the Ruach will still use that scenario to bring a testimony, though not necessarily in the manner we might have predicted. Why oil? Olive oil was used as a cleansing solution in ancient times. It's still a cleansing solution. If you were to take a bath in olive oil, or even if you just used a clean rag soaked in olive oil, it would cleanse your skin very nicely. By the way, it's not the holy oil from the temple. It would have been a Torah violation to use that oil for this purpose. Sometimes if a person is very sick, they may have been in their sick bed for a while, it's good if a family member can be present to give them a little sponge bath, and olive oil can also be used. So in the present age, when we pray in the name of Yeshua, we are invoking the future holiness of the age to come. Sometimes when I speak at a congregation, I have an opportunity to pray for people. Whenever I do, I make a disclaimer saying, if anything I say or do conflicts with the teachings or instructions of your congregational leaders, please go to them and discuss it with them. I am accountable to them and I will gladly answer to them. They must give account to Yeshua for you, for your souls. I give account to Yeshua for my own actions, but if I need correction, he will surely correct me through your leaders. I am here only at their invitation, and I do not have my own authority. This applies today as well, though I am an elder in the body of Messiah, I am not a governing elder here at Tikvot, and I'm speaking only at the invitation and under the oversight of the elders here. Now, when I pray, if the Ruach shows me that a person will be healed, I proclaim the faithfulness of Yeshua for the healing of that person. I stop asking Yeshua to heal them. Rather, I proclaim them healed. I was praying for a person under these circumstances once, and I felt the Spirit show me that there was significant disorder in their life. I quietly whispered to this person, since there were others around, and the person confessed that it was true. I asked them whether they wanted to repent, and I led them through a prayer of repentance. Afterwards, I put a little spot of oil on their forehead and prayed and ministered healing. I proclaimed them healed, and they were healed. I had someone come to me one time and tell me that when I prayed for them, they felt my hand grow extremely hot, and they said they were healed. I remembered praying for that person, but my hand, I never felt it grow hot. I didn't disagree with them. It's not my job to impose my experience on them or invalidate their experience. I've seen many people instantaneously healed. I remember a woman who had been diagnosed with a tumor the size of a grapefruit. We felt led to pray that the blood supply to the tumor would be cut off. She already had an appointment with a surgeon to have it removed. 
So she came back afterwards and told us that the surgeon removed a tumor the size of a golf ball, and it was completely encased with no blood flowing to it. I believe that if she hadn't had surgery, the tumor would have shrunk to the point that the body would have consumed it or eliminated it. What I am describing from James about praying for healing is what we have today. We all long for the day when heavenly Jerusalem will descend on the present city and Yeshua will set up his throne and begin to reign. Until that day, we have his written word, his living word, his spirit, and many promises, one great one being that we would do greater things than he had done since he was returning to his father. As we look forward to Alam Haba and the increasing holiness, may the one who has all authority under heaven and earth, Yeshua the Messiah, search our hearts and remove any wickedness or ungodly thing in us. And may he fill us with power to testify of the truth that, that there is one name given among men by which we must be saved, Yeshua. May we be blessed to see signs and wonders, miraculous healings, words of knowledge, prophecy, tongues and interpretation, and every spiritual gift and every spiritual fruit manifest among us for Yeshua's sake. And we say, Amen.